The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, we'll get started studying God's Word together. Uh, We are continuing this week in our series called Extravagant, Generous Living in Light of the Gospel. Uh, To recap thus far, just so we're all caught up, uh, and kind of for me to hit the reset button, uh, we spent the first couple weeks looking at why the gospel should compel us to be extravagantly generous, not dealing with just generosity for generosity's sake, but also the motive for generosity, because we know that Jesus cares a lot about why we do what we do, not just what we do. Uh, The word extravagant, it means lavish, costing too much, or more than is required. And we believe that uh, in light of the gospel, our generosity should be extravagant. Uh, We talked about the extravagant generosity of God towards us in Christ, and how the only proper response from us is to also be radically generous as well. We looked at the responses of several uh, biblical characters, including David, Ornan, Uh, They were kind of grouped in the same story. And then also Paul, when they encountered the presence of God and the incredible generosity of God, we got to look at their response and uh, get an idea of what that should look like. Uh, We saw that they poured forth their time, talent, and treasure as a thankful offering to God in response to his presence and his generosity. Uh, That was the first two weeks. Last week, uh, I was in uh, Montana visiting my grandparents and exploring some of the most unbelievably beautiful parts of God's whole creation. Uh, And that was a wonderful time. While I was gone, uh, Pastor Jordan showed us that Jesus taught there's an undeniable connection between how we handle money and the condition of our hearts. Uh, During the vacation last week, I dropped the rest of the family off to do some sightseeing on Wednesday. And uh, I drove, we had a bunch of little kids with us, and two of them were just too tuckered out to make it, and so they needed a nap. So uh, I drove two napping kids through the mountains uh, so that they could sleep, and because I was just could not wait to listen to the audio. Uh, Jordan sent it to me, and so I was driving through the mountains with napping kids, listening to it, and I woke him up a couple times by accident because I was shouting amen because uh, that sermon was doing heart surgery on me in the middle of my vacation, so I want to thank you for that, brother. Uh, I'm also super encouraged by the amount of mature Bible-believing disciples of Jesus we apparently have around here. Um, because the reality is, if our study of generosity was a basketball, Jordan took it straight to the hole and dunked on all of us in regards to money. And uh, as far as I know, nobody cried or complained. We didn't receive any death threats. So way to go, Love City. That's awesome. Uh, In light of how well that went, uh, and because I feel a call by God to love you by being a source of holy agitation in your life, uh, I'm going to preach on money and the church tonight. Woo! If you're stoked on that, let me hear you say amen. Amen. At least some of you are honest. Okay. (laughs) It's going to be fun. Did you turn to those verses? You know what happens if I go away for a week, you're in for a long sermon, and I'm going to be all spiced up. So my goal tonight is to uh, (laughs) only offend half of you. All right. 2 Corinthians 8, are you in uh, verse 1? Is that where we're at? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Let's read this together. We're going to read to verse 9. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints." And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 
Praise God. We're going to start back uh, at verse 1, chapter 8, and we'll work through these nine verses together. Uh, going back to verse 1, it says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. We see here, and this is not, uh, this is not unique to the way the New Testament talks about giving, that, that giving money generously is a visible testament of the grace of God. Did you see that? Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And we know he goes on to then explain that these Macedonian churches were incredibly generous even out of their immense affliction and difficult poverty. And so we see this connection between the grace of God and generous giving, uh, even specifically when it comes to giving money. In the same way that faith and love are gifts because of the grace of God, so is giving. And that's something we're going to see hit again even in this short set of verses. I think sometimes uh, we don't think of giving as maybe as spiritual as, as loving people or praying for people or even the gift of faith to believe God for things. Uh, but apparently, according uh, to these teachings here by Paul, giving is just as spiritual and just as important. He puts it right on par with it, and he'll do it again in just a few verses. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 together. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So, first of all, he's talking about the churches of Macedonia, just so we quickly kind of understand what we're looking at here. The northern part of Greece was called Macedonia, and Corinth was in the southern part of Greece. So there's these, these northern churches, all connected, obviously, through the ministry of Paul and the fact that all these guys were working together for the furthering of the gospel. Uh, so the, these churches he's speaking of are in northern Greece, and, and Corinth is down in the south. Paul is writing about the example he sees throughout the churches of Macedonia, the fact that they were the ones struggling that also gave uh, very generously. These churches were in cities, and this will sound familiar to you because letters were written to them as well. The Macedonian churches were churches uh, in Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, and Berea. And so um, the, the other thing to note, and, and something I think is interesting, is that the poverty of the Macedonians is actually recorded and confirmed also in secular history. The, the reason that they were so impoverished in this time period, it had largely to do with them being savagely conquered by the Romans. And part of why the Romans treated them a little extra harshly is because Macedonia was the former homeland of Alexander the Great. And a lot of Romans admired Alexander the Great because he conquered most of the ancient world at one time, like 300 years prior to this uh, set of verses and, and the timeline going on here. So some guys admired him, but some Romans were threatened by the fact that out of that area came a guy that just tore everything up. And so they kind of wanted to put the Macedonians down real low so that they knew they shouldn't try to rise back up. So uh, they were just devastated by the Roman armies uh, and impoverished by the Roman rulers. Paul says that these Macedonian, Macedonian churches, though they were struggling and mostly impoverished themselves, gave generously. These churches were giving an offering to help the church in Jerusalem that was struggling as well. It's not made totally clear right here in these verses, but earlier uh, as Paul is writing, he lets us know that this collection he's taking up, they're actually trying to send that to a struggling church in Jerusalem that's working to get the gospel spread there. And so that's what all this is about. We see here that these churches were in the midst of great affliction, the Macedonian churches, and deep poverty, and yet they gave joyously and generously, even to the point that is described here as beyond their ability. They gave beyond their ability. This is the grace of God Paul wants to make known to the Corinthians. So you remember he started the, he started the chapter by saying, I want, to, I want to let you guys know about the grace of God I'm observing in these other believers that you know of. Here's, here's the grace that he's describing. The fact that they gave beyond their ability, out of their poverty, and yet still joyously. There's this incredible grace to that. Not just an empowering grace to do the giving, but also this, this idea that it points to and magnifies the grace of God. And so it, it's, it, it, there's a dual purpose in it. The grace of God is magnified. The goodness of God is magnified. The power of God is shown forth when people give generously, out of, even out of their lack, which is pretty amazing. Uh, he is saying that not only is our giving as Christians enabled by the grace of God, but it is also undeniable. It is undeniable that it points to the grace of God. So it enables, our, our giving is enabled by God's grace, and when we give, it points to God's grace. And so it's, it's all around beneficial for 
uh, us as God's people, for the work of God's kingdom, and for the glory of his name. Amen to that. Verse 4. It says, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Whoo, come on. This, friends, is both amazing and convicting. If you're paying attention to what is really being said here, the Macedonian churches begged for the privilege of giving to support the church in Jerusalem. They begged Paul for the privilege. This flips what has sadly become the common paradigm right on its head. Because the reality is many church leaders today get put in a position of begging people to give. These believers were begging the pastor. Listen, listen to this language. Listen to what is said. It says, with much urging for the favor of participation. Pastor Paul, please, please let us give to what's going on at the church in Jerusalem. We believe the gospel needs to be spread through Jerusalem. Please don't deny us the beautiful privilege of giving to that work. Let us in on this. You can hear it, right? They're begging for the privilege to give. I haven't begged for the privilege to give in a while, right? So I'll I'll just jump in there with you. And I I know know that your holy stares are because the Lord's working on our hearts. And we're like, that doesn't sound like the way I think about money. Right? So, oh, man. But, but here, here again, what is Paul doing? He's, he's saying to the Corinthians, I, wanna, I want you to hear about the grace of God that's moving through these churches. I want you to hear about what the power of God is doing in the hearts of people. Let me give you some evidence that God is moving in the Macedonian churches. Let me tell you, let me share with something that is, is nothing short really of miraculous, right? Is, is that not a miracle for human beings? You're one of those, right? So you know how they are. We are. They're begging to get in on the opportunity, the privilege to give towards the work of God. And so not only is that clearly something that has to be enabled by the grace of God, that's not normal, that's not natural. The Spirit of God has to do something in your heart for you to think that way about giving money. Not only is it clearly the enabling grace of God at work, but it it points to the beauty and the power of God's grace. And so he's encouraging the Corinthian church, hey, God's moving in Macedonia, Let let me tell you why. They begged me. (laughs) They begged me to give. They begged me to get in on this kingdom work and and the gospel going forward. Uh, So with much urging, and for the the, they're begging uh, Pastor Paul for the, the, the favor of participation and the support of not just the mission of their own local congregation, but of a congregation in a complete another city. And so not only are these guys giving sacrificially out of their poverty to support the work of the gospel in their own locality. They heard, hey, this other church up here in Jerusalem is struggling, and Jerusalem's strategic. We know that there's a lot of traffic going through there, and so we know we need that church strong, and we need the gospel to be preached there, so I'm going to sell something else. I'm going to sacrifice something else. I'm going to do what I can. Let me in on that. I want to be a part of sowing seed towards the gospel being preached in Jerusalem because I know that's going to have great impact. Incredible generosity, incredible attitude, uh, and incredibly convicting. Amen. You get the idea that these people were so excited by the chance to give and so convinced that as followers of Jesus, they should be generous, they were not going to take no for an answer. He says, says, with much urging, that gives you this idea that they weren't just like, hey, is is it cool if we give? It was like, hey, 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 we are not taking no for an answer. We took up this offering. We heard about what's going on in Jerusalem. Pastor Paul, take this money so the gospel gets preached up there. With much urging. That's incredible. That convicts me. If this is the effect, if this is the effect that the grace of God should have on our hearts in regards to giving, it should cause us, if we see that this is what the, 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 the grace of God did in the hearts of those Macedonian churches, it should cause us to examine our attitudes on the subject. Part, we, we know that the, grace, the, the word of God is a, is a mirror, and so part of what we should be doing as we read this, as we read Paul's beautiful admonition to the Corinthians, hey, let me share with you what the grace of God is doing in your brothers and sisters in Macedonia. Then what we need to do is, is take that, look at it, and say, okay, their, their attitude was they, they were literally begging with much urging to get in on the chance, the privilege of giving, Okay, that's where they're at when the grace of God touched their heart. So how do I feel about when an offering's taken? Am I, am I climbing over people to get a chance to get my money in the plate? Or am I 
sinking down in there hoping they don't see me when the plate goes by. I mean, we don't pass a plate, but I needed an analogy, so there you go. Uh, it, it should cause us to examine our attitudes on the subject. Let, let's, let's just float this question. Let's think about this. It'll be fun. If we took away the offering bucket from up here at the front of the sanctuary on a Sunday, and we didn't mention the opportunity to worship God with our offerings as we do at the, at the end of every service, um, the question I would have of us is, would, would we have a riot breakout of people begging with much urging for the opportunity to give? Would there be a bunch of ticked off people like, hold on, I didn't get to give. Hold on, I know, man, that part of the way I worship God is to give of, of, of my increase. So hold on, where, where was the opportunity to do that? Would, would we have begging? Would we have rioting? Would we have people upset like, hold on, hold on, let's figure, can we get a collection plate going? Or would we have people going, whoo, dodge the bullet there. <laughs> All right. They forgot to take the offering, right? High fives in the hallway. Yes, right? Got a little extra walking around money this week. No, I hope not. I hope somebody would raise their hand and say, hold on, we forgot something. Hold on. I need the opportunity to give, man. The grace of God has touched my heart. Jesus has given me much. I know that everything I have belongs to him, the very blood in my veins, the air in my lungs. I know that the very life that I'm living right now is only by the grace of God. And so I can't, I can't leave from a, a time of gathering together with his people, singing joyously of his goodness, of studying his word and being changed under the power of his anointing. I can't leave that without giving something. I would hope that we would be upset if there wasn't that opportunity. I would hope that somebody would be begging with much urging, I need to give. I would hope that the same gospel that has changed and transformed their life and taken them from darkness to light, from being a slave to themselves and to the evil one, to now being free to serve God as they were created to do, that there would be a compulsion in them to give so that that work could continue, so that someone else could experience that beautiful freedom. Amen. You may be thinking, well, clearly those people in Macedonia were either brainwashed or ignorant <laughs> because that's the only reason someone would beg to give money away, right? It's okay. You can be honest. You don't have to say amen or raise your hand on that one, but we'll just assume that perhaps some of us may be thinking, yeah, that's great for the Macedonians, but uh, you know, who knows what was going on there? Maybe they got a hold of some bad mushrooms or something, and that's what accounts for this situation that Paul's describing. Um, <laughs> I guess that's possible. However, um, the reality is verse 5 and 6 gives us the real reason. We could try to reduce it to that. We could, as we often do, try to wiggle out of it some way or come up with some justification for the fact that, I mean, the, the scary truth is, guys, and I'm, I'm going to say this again in a minute, just, just, to, just to reiterate it, because it, it, it has become so problematic for those of us that are called to be leaders among God's people, to speak about uh, issues regarding money and finances, it's become so problematic that many people just totally walk away from it. They won't deal with it. They, they, will, they will not do it because they don't want to have the possibility of somebody accusing them of preaching that because they're trying to get people to put more money in the offering plate or some other devious deal. The reality is, as I know Pastor Jordan shared with us last week, if Jesus spent roughly 15% of his sermon time talking about money, if the scriptures over and over again, you know, all the apostles and disciples that followed him tend to work the subject into what they're talking about, is that because uh, Jesus has been running a Ponzi scheme for 2,000 years? Or is the other option that maybe there's something legitimate and real to the connection between our heart and what we do with money or don't do with money? And so the reality is to shy away and to not deal with these things out of fear of reaction of the people is, is actually a sin in and of itself, and God would deal with that harshly. Because if we're never checked in our attitudes about this, if we're never given the opportunity to reflect on how the gospel should, the attitudes, what attitudes we should have in light of the gospel regarding generosity and giving, specifically the M word, Right? specifically how it deals with, with money. Um, the reality is, the way Jesus taught about it, it seems that there's going to be this constant pull, this constant fight for our heart between God and money. And when you stack it up, when you think about it the way it really is, that's ridiculous. How could any of us ever choose 
to worship wealth or to worship material possessions over the God who made us and saved us. It's ridiculous, but the reality is it's subtle, and we don't normally think about it in those terms. And so what we've been doing throughout this series has nothing to do with an attempt to up the offerings. We're not even thinking about that. What we're thinking about and what we're praying through is, and what we're, we're hoping for is that God by his Holy Spirit would deal with all of our hearts that generosity would be the natural outflow of the fact that we've been saved by grace and that it wouldn't be a stretch, that we wouldn't read this and try to figure out some way to justify what Paul's talking about with the Macedonians other than <laughs> they just gave because they really, really loved Jesus and because they really, really wanted his gospel to go forth, right? Um, there's, there's constant tension around this, and the reality is... Uh, what this sermon series is doing, what these scriptures are doing, is, is it's given us that mirror. It's given us that test. It's given us questions to run our own hearts through and to come up with a conclusion on whether or not um, we're winning that battle to not be a slave to possessions and to money. The reality is verse 5 and 6 gives us the real reason that these Macedonian Christians acted this way. Let's read it together. It says, And this... Not as we had expected. They did even more than they expected. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. What's the reality? What do we see in verses 5 and 6? What is the reason these people were acting, I mean, in a way that honestly most of us today would potentially consider insane, that they were begging for the chance to give away what they had for the sake of the gospel being pushed forth, for the helping of the saints in a, in a total other locale in another church. What happened? The reality is, verse 5 tells us, they first gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. <laughs> By God's grace, man, we need to understand. If we have first given ourselves to the Lord, this, this, is what, this is what Paul's teaching. He's sharing this miracle with the Corinthian church. He's, he's, he's letting us know, and, and also he's, he, this, this is echoing down through, through the generations. When you give yourself totally to the Lord, this, this is what happens. This is what happens in your heart. M material possessions and the drive to, to hoard wealth, it, it, it melts away. And it becomes of less importance. And, and we begin to start to think about finances in a totally different way. We start, to, we start to budget around giving instead of hoping maybe there's a little bit left at the end to give. The, the priority paradigm shifts and we start to really, really care about um, understanding that everything that passes through our hands is a gift from God. And we should, we should really be imploring him and finding out from him how it is he would want us to disperse those resources. And so... The, the, the truth is, they were acting this crazy, begging somebody to take their money so that they could be a part of giving to the work of the gospel because they had first given themselves to the Lord. Okay, let's reverse engineer that. If you're ticked off right now, what's the problem? Is the problem that the church wants your money? Or is the problem maybe something going on in the heart that maybe... Your heart isn't the Lord's first. Is there, has there been a shift? Is there an idolatry issue? Uh, I'm not sure how we could look at the way these folks reacted after giving themselves to the Lord, after being saved by grace, after being rescued by the beautiful mercy of God, how, how this affected the way they think about money, how we could look at that and then us have a bad attitude about anybody that has anything to do with the church ever mentioning something about money and think that everything's okay, right? Is that, is that okay to say? You do what you want with it. Like, you, you can go home and think about it. You can pray about it. You can decide, oh, he was just doing a bad job talking about it, which may be true. But maybe not. But maybe not. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe you're ticked off because the word money came up in church because you got a bad attitude and your heart's not right, right? Okay, cool. Good, just, just so you know it's a possibility. Let's move on, because you like that so much, I'm going to keep the momentum going. All right, amen. Verses 5 and 6 give us the real deal. Um, 
and it says that Titus had already begun uh, this, this, this work, so he had already begun to let the Corinthian church know, hey, this is coming, we're going to be taking this collection for Jerusalem, and, and he, Paul's saying he wants Titus to, to complete that good and gracious work in them, okay? Verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also, right? What's the context? What's Paul talking about? What is this gracious work? He's talking about giving, right? That's the whole flow of thought. So verse 7 tells us we cannot trivialize, and we tend to do this, friends. We cannot trivialize the gracious work of giving generously. It is listed here as a work and gift of the Spirit no less important than the others. Now let's look at the other things Paul mentions. He says to them, but just as you abound in everything, in faith. Faith's pretty important, right? Scripture somewhere says something about without faith, you're not going to please God. It's by faith that we are saved through grace, right? So faith's a pretty big deal. We need to have faith. That's a work of the Spirit, a gift of God. He gives us faith. We exercise faith. Uh, we, pr- we walk by faith, not by sight. Praise God. Faith's important. So he says, just as you abound in faith and utterance and knowledge. So now he's talking about gifts of the Spirit. Um, and this is something he deals with the Corinthians largely. You know, he's saying th- they had a pretty high emphasis on uh, certain gifts of the Spirit, maybe an inordinate emphasis, and, and so Paul deals with that later on. But here he's saying, look, you guys need to be just as stoked as you are about words of knowledge and prophecy and all these kind of gifts of the Spirit, these workings of the Holy Spirit in your midst uh, and as you're out doing evangelism. You need to be just as stoked about giving as you are about these seemingly more supernatural or, or, or more um, inspired gifts. And so he, he's putting it right along there with prophecy, words of knowledge, um, and even in the love we inspired uh, the love we inspired in you. And so, again, right, I mean, we, we go a little bit later. We know that uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is the, the great and, and prolific chapter on love where, where Paul, again, is, is putting up to the top of the heap this idea that to, to love God and to love people is, is the highest order of, of Christian responsibility, that all we do comes back to and is woven back through this idea that God has loved us first. And if that is true, then we must love him in return. It's just, it's just right, and that that causes us then to have an outflow of love for other people. Uh, if you've been around here more than 30 seconds, you know that we're pretty big on that. And so the reality is uh, Paul puts on the same par with you know, uh, gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, prophecy, faith, and love. He says, as you abound in all these things, you guys, are doing, you guys are doing good at all this stuff. Keep doing that, but also in this gracious work. And so he's putting on par with the rest of these incredible works of the Spirit, these things that he says later on in the same, uh, in the same letter. He says, earnestly seek after all these gifts. Yes. And he includes, again, this idea that giving belongs in that. It's something you will have to earnestly seek for. And so throughout this series, if you've just week after week been thinking, man, they, they keep painting this picture of what it looks like to be generous and to be giving and to have a, a generous heart in response to God's generosity, and, and I just I don't feel that way. And so if your response to that has been to be condemned about as opposed to uh, be convicted and let God help you, I would, just, I would encourage you, friend, don't, don't be condemned about it. Don't just Eeyore about it. Oh, I guess I'm not a good Christian. Maybe not, but there's a way to get out of that, right? Paul said we can earnestly seek after these better gifts. We can ask God by faith. If you're you're seeing the way the Macedonians begged to be a part of giving, begged to send something even out of their poverty to the the furthering of God's work, if you don't have that spark in you, if you you don't have that desire to give, but you are, you're doing what you should be doing, you're holding this word of God up as a mirror and you're realizing something's not lining up, if I've experienced the grace of God, then there should be this automatic outflow of generosity. If I'm I'm being molded and and shaped and changed to be more like the image of Christ, then I'm going to be a giver. I see that that's there. I understand that's what the scriptures are saying, but, but it's not the reality for me. What do I do? Pray. Ask God to help you. He'll grow you in that. Ask God to give you opportunities to give. Ask God to be with you in those moments when there's that tension and that pull and that inner fight going on where there's an opportunity to give, but man, there's also a, you know, there's a new movie coming out, and I really need the money for those tickets, right? Or whatever the deal is, whatever your deal is. Uh, ask God for help. Seek after these gifts. Ask God to help you, and he will, and he will. Don't just settle into, well, I'm terrible, so I guess that's the way it is, or 
please don't sit there and justify yourself or try to run to the Greek and come up with some other understanding, because I promise you, we've done the Greek work, okay? <laughs> if you've been saved by grace, you should be generous. You, you can't Greek your way out of that, okay? I'm sorry. It'd be fun. If, if you want to try, go ahead. It'd be great. Let's have the conversation, but those are, those are always fun. Well, Pastor Vince, I was looking at the Greek. Where are you now? <laughs> Let's sit down. I'll brew some coffee. This will be good. Amen. Uh, <laughs> oh, praise God. Um, so, really, verse 7 is telling us we cannot trivialize the gracious work of giving generously. We can't trivialize it. It is listed here as a work and a gift of the Spirit, and it's no less important than any of the other works and gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and it takes, let, let's be honest, that's, that's why I don't want you to be discouraged if this is not real natural for you, because I need you to hear me say this. It's not natural for anybody. Now, are some people, do some people have a more generous disposition than others? Yes. Are some people more Scrooge-like naturally? Yes. But it is, it is not natural for any of us to beg for the opportunity to give of our wealth for the preaching of the gospel. It takes a work of the Spirit. So it's not going to be something any of us are just going to do just because we decide to. All of us are going to need the help of God's Holy Spirit to live in this way. And because that's true, when we, here, remember, this is good, because anything that requires the work of the Spirit in our lives, anything that requires the faith of God, the grace of God, that's what he's saying here. All of this is by grace. All of this points to God's grace. The beauty is, then when we do live in that beautiful generosity, when we do beg to give, when we are super stoked and it's real, when we have an opportunity to be generous and we are generous, we don't start walking around with our chest puffed out a little farther and our nose up a little higher, right? We are instantly compelled to point to the fact that this generosity is not because of me. It's not because I'm a great person. Uh, the reality is, if it was just me, I'd probably give nothing, right? It comes down to the fact that Jesus is changing our hearts. It comes down to the fact that grace is at work in us. It comes down to the fact that we are being molded and shaped by the Spirit of God more and more to look like Jesus. And Jesus gave everything. Amen. So let's not trivialize giving. Um, I think we do that often, and, and, and it's, it, it's not to our benefit. Verse 8, <clears throat> this is good. He says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Very key. He says, this is not a command. This is part of, along with other scriptures that talk about uh, the fact that we should give generously, not under compulsion, right? It shouldn't be. That's, that's why... That's why... For us, a sermon series on generosity has not consisted of um, four or five weeks of, of just twisting your arm and trying to guilt and shame you uh, into giving on, on some, you know, natural, outside of the gospel, not pointing to Jesus and the fact that he gave first. I, I've heard a lot of teaching on giving, um, and unfortunately a lot of it is manipulative. A lot of it is, it appeals to emotion. We're not doing that. We're not going to try to pull your arm because ultimately this has nothing to do with the numbers of what comes in the offerings. This has everything to do with the motives of our hearts and has everything to do with is, is the grace of God evident in our lives in this area? Is, is extravagant generosity something that marks us as a people? Is, and should it be? Right, and so that's what we're trying to do. That's what that's what we're taking ourselves through. And so this is why, this is why here at Love City we don't drill down hard on the idea of a tithe. Some of you don't like that. I know that. Some of you have been taught for a long time that I mean, you really wish I was in Malachi right now. I know that. Okay, <laughs> I get it, and I know you're upset. Right, but uh, there's a reason because, and just please hear me if that's you. If you if you're like, why don't you just tell these people to tithe? Because all the ones that aren't tithing are heathens and they're going to hell. Malachi says so, right? If that's you, just listen to me for a second. I love you. Just give me a second. Just, is it not true that it would be tragic? It, it is tragic if our giving was reduced to a legalistic or mechanical handing over of 10% of our income. With all that we've seen, with all that we've discussed, uh, uh, the fact that generosity should be in light of the gospel, that we should, it should be a response to the incredible giving heart of God reflected most beautifully in the sacrifice of Christ. Would it not be tragic 
if we just got people conditioned to mechanically hand over 10% of their income. And it didn't become this, it became not that instead of this, this worshipful act and this loving response um, that, that, that flows out of more than just some type of legalistic duty. That's why we don't harp on the tithe. We believe that, that the Bible teaches that in light of, now you're going to get happy. I, you, you folks are going to like this part, okay? We believe the Bible teaches that in light of the gospel, we should give regularly and sacrificially, which for many of us means 10% is the floor and not the ceiling to our giving, okay? The Bible teaches over and over that we should give. I don't, it, it, you don't get this idea that the Macedonians were like, you know, sifting out the grain and, oh, here's 10% and, and that's all that I got, right? They were scratching and digging and fighting to find something to give because they were excited about the work of the gospel and the kingdom moving forward. And they were begging <laughs> that they would take it. They were begging their leaders, take this. I want to be a part of what God's doing. It says with, with, there, was, there was much, um, what's, what's the language? Begging us with much urging, that's it, with much urging. It, it, it doesn't seem like they were, they were over there with their Hebrew calculators, you know, well, less than 10%, all right, we're done. <laughs> and it's tragic when we get that way, when we turn it into this legalistic system, right? I love all the accountants in here. I'm not making fun of you. Yeah, I'm just, that was my Hebrew accountant voice. I'm sorry. Okay. We need you, okay, because there's people like me in the world, all right? Praise God. <laughs> Love the accountants. Um, but it's, it's not a command. And so, and, and the reality is if, we're, if, 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 the, if, if, what, if what the Bible teaches us is the gospel should cause us to have this type of gracious generosity, um, we, we talked about, if you just flip one more chapter over in, in chapter 9, it says that we've been... Um, We've been, we've been made rich so that we can be generous on every occasion, right? When you really drill down on the tithe, it, it, it gets people locked into this mechanical kind of legalistic, just put my tithe in and, and, and that's the deal. The reality is um, the Bible says that we should have this disposition of generosity, right? That, that all the time our hearts should be compelled and bent towards giving, not keeping, right? Of, of helping, not hoarding, and so that's, that's, what we want to, that's what we want to submit before you. And, and, and we're praying and we're asking God to help all of us that by his spirit we would live that way, that that, that's the, that would be our experience. Uh, and that would be, uh, it, it wouldn't be this constant struggle for us, that the grace of God would make it for us. The, the beautiful thing about what is said here about these Macedonian Christians, not only did they beg with much urging that they could give of their increase for the preaching of the gospel, not only did they beg with much urging, it says they did it joyously. I know this sounds crazy, but it's why I'm appealing to God's grace, and it's why I'm telling you we're going to need his help. I'm, I'm just saying what Paul's doing here literally is he's setting the bar. He's saying, hey, guys, here's what the miracle of grace in the hearts of people does in regards to money. Here's the way it makes you act. It makes you act like a crazy person, but it's awesome. <laughs> it makes you give like a crazy person, but it's awesome. And so we believe that, that regularly and sacrificially would be uh, the parameters the Bible gives us for, for giving. Um, now, some of you may have caught what I said, and, and you might be like, hold on a minute. Are, are you saying that we should give more than 10% of our income to furthering the work of God's kingdom? Is that, is that actually coming out of your mouth there, bud? I'm saying many of us should. And verse 9 tells us why. I'm saying many of us should, and verse 9 tells us why. Let's look at it together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Why is it that the Macedonian Christians were giving like they were out of their mind? Why is it that they were begging with much urging to give towards the furthering of God's kingdom? Why is it that it is called a grace and a gift no different than the very love we should share because of what God has given us through Christ? Why is giving put on that par? And why, why, is, why is it that I would be so bold as to say that some of us should treat uh, the idea of a tithe as a floor to our giving and not the ceiling? It's because of Jesus. It's because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that 
you through his poverty might become rich. Okay, so when was, when was Jesus rich? Because he wasn't necessarily a rich guy when he was born uh, of a, a, a virgin in a podunk town to a blue-collar dad, worked in a family business in, in, in a backwater little town. He wasn't necessarily rich then. So what, what is Paul talking about here? When was Jesus rich? Well, it was just before that, right? When he sat at the right hand of God the Father. In the ivory towers of heaven, man, when there's gold on the streets and you can't even imagine what the rest of everything else is carved out of. He was rich then, and then he became poor. He became poor so that we could become rich. And is it all about material wealth? No. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually impoverished. We were spiritual beggars, blind and dead in our sins. But because Jesus came and made himself poor, walked among us as a man, lived a perfect life, died in our place for our sins, and then rose from the grave, he left the opulence of heaven, came down and took on flesh, became a poor, a vagabond walking among us, became just a common man. The God of the universe became just a common man, became poor so that we could be made rich in eternity. And because of that, because of that incredible grace, because of that incredible mercy, because of the beauty of that gospel, we have no excuse for stinginess. We have no excuse, to, we have no excuse even to give a lot out of impure motives. We can't even give a bunch for some reason other than the fact that Jesus has given us so much. Listen, guys, there's a lot, that's the thing. I... <laughs> There's so many other ways we could go at this that, that you, 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 would just, you would just know it was about just money. There's so many emotional ploys that could be put into practice to try to get people to separate from more of their dollars, right? It, it's, it's, it's not about that. It is about, is, is, does that gospel message, does the beauty of what is described there by Paul, Jesus making himself poor so that we could be made rich, is it causing the right motivation in our heart? You can give a whole bunch of money because you want people to know you gave a whole bunch of money. You could give a whole bunch of money because you're guilty and somehow you think that that's going to make God love you more. You can give a whole bunch of money because you're, you're guilty about how much money you have and you just want to give a little bit so you don't feel guilty about that anymore. And all of those are twisted, jacked up motives and they're not pleasing to God whatsoever. You might as well not give if that's why you're giving. Don't do it. But if you're going to give because you are completely overcome and overwhelmed by the love of God and by the beauty of what Jesus has done in his perfect sacrifice, if you're going to give because you have decided that the very best possible thing you can do with absolutely any of the resources that would come into your hands is to push it back forward for the, the furthering of the truth of the gospel out into this dark and wretched world, if you're giving because your motivation is, I've been loved so purely and fully by Christ that this material stuff doesn't matter to me and I know if I give it, he'll give me more. If those are your motives, then do it. Go big and see God bless it and see God be glorified by it. May the grace of God be magnified in your giving. But if your motive is anything other than that, don't do it. Don't give it here and don't give it anywhere else because it's not going to do any good for you or anyone else. Amen. I thought you'd like that part better. I know, you're doing good just not leaving. Well, there goes somebody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know him well enough I can mess with him. Amen. All right. Praise God. Uh, what verse 9 tells us, in a nutshell, I'm going to paraphrase it another way. Verse 9 tells us that Jesus gave until it hurt a lot. And so we should give until it hurts at least a little. And that's why I'm telling you, for some of us, the tithe doesn't cut it. Because for some of us, we could give 10% of our income and never feel it. For some of us, we can give 10% of our income, uh, and, and it doesn't make a dent whatsoever. For some of us, it's just, it's just kind of cream off the top. Um, and, and the reality is, the, the, the compulsion of the grace of God, the, the thing that should stir in us and motivate us, if, if, if the reason we give is because of the reason God gave in Christ, if that's our example and that's what we're following, Jesus gave till it hurt a whole lot. And so how do I know when I'm giving enough? It's going to hurt a little. It should hurt a little. It should affect something. There should be sacrifice involved. There should have to be modification to the way we do something because we're giving that much. We should 
plan to give. We should pray for promotions, not so that I can get something newer and shinier, but because I want the opportunity to propel the gospel forward more, right? I, I want all of you to make a, a, a ton of money, but not so you can all be rolling on 20s. It's 24s now, right? 20s aren't even cool anymore. I got to keep up with this stuff. I haven't watched a rap video in a long time. I'm going to be honest. So is it 24s now? 26s? What are we up to? 30s? I, I don't know. I have no idea. Anyways, not so that you can have huge rims, not so that you can have a huge house or a bigger house or bigger closets in the house. Um, listen, man, and I know I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because Pastor Jordan did a good job delineating this for you. It's not, the Bible isn't teaching that all of us need to be paupers and beggars for the glory of God. That's, 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 a, that's a poverty mentality and it's an overcorrection, right? Not, not every poor person is righteous uh, and not every rich person is unrighteous. There's, there's unrighteous rich and there's, there's uh, righteous rich. There's righteous poor and there's unrighteous poor. So the, the, the economic status you find yourself in is not an indicator of, of righteousness. Generosity is an indicator of righteousness. Um, being a giving person because God gave first uh, is an indicator of righteousness. And so like the Macedonian Christians, if you're struggling today... Um, you know, if, if you're walking in the grocery store and you don't step over that penny that someone else dropped because, like, that matters to you, um, give out of your desperation like the Macedonian Christians. God will bless you, and he'll make sure you got food to eat. He'll take care of you. If, if you're so rich that there's a $20 bill on the ground, you're not bending over to get it because it's like, eh, it doesn't make that big of a difference. And what if someone saw me? Um, first of all, you're dumb. Like, bend over and pick up that 20 you know what I mean? And bring it to me, okay? Because I need it. Uh, yeah, straight up. So, but you know what I'm saying? If, if, you've, got, if you've got so much, man, um, that, that that wouldn't matter to you, uh, give, give out of your wealth. You know, the, the widow with two mites, man, it wasn't... He, Jesus said that a bunch of guys walked up with big bags of gold, dropped them in there. They were clinking it and shaking it so everybody could hear how many coins were in there. That woman walked up with two, silver co or two copper coins that it, it amounted to really nothing. It wasn't... As far as effectiveness in, in what it was going to do, it, it wasn't, it wasn't going to come close to what everyone else was doing. But he said he gave, she gave more than everyone else, man. What was Jesus looking at? What does Jesus care about? I, and I promise you, what do we care about? Why am I talking to you about this? Why am I taking the immense risk of you walking out here going, the church just wants my money? Why would, I know that that's a potential. Why would I take the risk? Why would I walk the plank? Because we care about your heart. Because Jesus cares about your heart. And one of the sure, most surefire ways to, for you to figure out, do most of us not just assume our heart's good? Don't we? Right? But we need to go read Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah said, your heart's deceitfully wicked. Your heart will lie to you. You will make assumptions about yourself that aren't true. And so all through the scriptures, we're given this, this continual way for us to check on ourselves, to check our motives, to find out, are we continually being, being renewed and, and grown and, and, and sanctified by the power of God's grace and, and, and through the help of his Holy Spirit? Is that happening? How, how do I know? How can I make sure? Well, there's a few different ways, but one is, are you stingy or are you generous? How do you feel when there's opportunities to give? <clears throat> Fine. Or is it like, here, here's, here's some, and hold on, wait for a minute, because I got more. Let me go get more. I, 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 I want, I'm, I'm, I'm so motivated to give. Hold on, I, I can find something else. I can sell something. Where are we at on the spectrum? Praise God that he's patient with us as we move along. Jesus gave till it hurt a lot. We should make sure we give till it hurts at least a little. Over the years, there has been example after tragic example of churches and church leaders who have misused and even stolen money that should have been used to propel the gospel forward. This is deplorable and inexcusable. But it does not excuse us from giving sacrificially to the local church, just as the Macedonian believers did. There are many parachurch and nonprofit organizations that are also doing excellent and impactful work for the kingdom, and those also are worthy of our financial support. Uh, one that comes to my mind immediately, some of you will be familiar with it, is RZIM. That's Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, I don't know of anybody else in our time that is having more impact uh, as an apologist for the kingdom of God than Ravi Zacharias. If you don't listen to his stuff, uh, I would commit it to you. Uh, and I think it'll be helpful for you. Um, the guy's a solid brother. I've never heard one person uh, question his integrity, anything he's ever done with money, and it's kind of clear because God has blessed 
what they're doing. They're in uh, college campuses all the time, uh, doing Q&A forums, packed houses. God has really blessed their ministry. Uh, I think he's a modern-day C.S. Lewis and may even overshadow him as far as kingdom impact. Uh, he's a brother that I really appreciate. Uh, and I brought him up as well because of, I really also appreciate his perspective because when you listen to his podcast, it takes money for them to train and pay apologists, to fly people to these universities. Most of the time, these are their foot in the bill for uh, doing these evangelistic outreaches and stuff. And so um, every single time on his podcast when he asks for support, he says this phrase. I've heard it every single time without fail. He says, your first responsibility is to your local church. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts from organizations that are not churches that don't say that. I think that's a real high integrity move on his part, but I want to explore together for just a moment, just take a minute, why would, why would Ravi say that? Why does he say your first responsibility is to your local church? Um, what, where does that conviction come from? Uh, is that a conviction we should share? I want to read you some scriptures out of 1 Timothy, okay? I'm not going to tell you exactly where they're at. They're in 1 Timothy because I don't want you to try to turn there. Just listen to these scriptures, okay? I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. Paul goes on here to quote an ancient hymn. He who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And so what he says here, he says that uh, he wants people to know how they ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, and it is the pillar and support of the truth. Then he goes on to say, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He goes on to explain what is the truth that the church is the pillar and support of. What is that truth? Well, when you read through that ancient hymn, you see that it's completely and totally about Jesus. God has established the church as the pillar and support of the truth. And that truth centers on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me read this to you. This is by David Watson. He's an Anglican priest and evangelist in the mid-20th century. He wrote this. It is the church that is willing to die to worldly standards uh, that will know the power of Christ's resurrection. It may be envied for its depths of loving relationships or for its spontaneous joy. It may be hated and persecuted for its revolutionary lifestyle, exposing the hollow values and destructive selfishness of the society it seeks to serve. But it certainly cannot be ignored. When God reigns among his people, they become a city set on a hill, and it cannot be hid. Here's what I'm saying to you. Here's why I believe Ravi says that when he asks for funds for his uh, organization. Here's why I believe he's right. The church is God's plan A for spreading the good news of the gospel and discipling those who receive it. And there is no plan B. The church is God's plan A for spreading the good news of the gospel and discipling those who receive it. And there is no plan B. Amen. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Some of you agree with that. Some of you might be saying now, I knew if I waited long enough, it would come out. I knew this series was about the church wanting my money. Well, first of all, your phraseology betrays you. It's not your money. It belongs to Jesus anyways, so booyah right there. <laughs> Secondly, Honestly, you, you can believe that if you want to. I hope you don't. The truth is that we, the truth is we believe what verse 5 teaches. We believe what verse 5 teaches, and I'm going to read it to you again. This is 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Here's what we believe about it. Here's why we're taking the great risk of talking about generosity in light of the gospel, about even specifically going so far as to be brazen and bold and address the idea of money. And then I, not to be 
outdone by my dear friend over here. I'm taking it, I'm ratcheting it up one step further, and I'm talking about money and the church. Woo! We didn't offend somebody last week. We're going to get them this week. Why would we do all that? Because we believe what verse 5 says. We believe that if you have given yourself to the Lord, if you have given yourself to the Lord, then you will be passionate about giving sacrificially to the work of the kingdom, established by God to be done through the church. I want you to know something. I want you to think this way. Because this is the truth. This is, this is the absolute truth. Every time we feed a hungry person, you are part of that through giving. Even if you're not there, you're a part of it through giving. Every time we teach a child in our discipleship that, that God made them and loves them, you are a part of that through giving. Every time we baptize a new believer, you're a part of that through giving. Every time we are able to welcome someone into a Sunday gathering to hear the gospel preached, you are a part of that through giving. Every time we meet the needs of a family that is struggling amongst us, you're a part of that through giving. Every time we have the resources to post audio of the word of God being taught online, you're a part of that through giving. You might think, well, what's the big deal about that? We've checked the analytics recently, and literally people from all over the U.S. and all over the world download these sermons, and they are hearing the good news about Jesus. They may not hear excellent preaching if they download a Love City sermon, but here's one thing I promise, I guarantee you that they're going to hear absolutely every single time. They're going to hear that there's hope in Christ. They're going to hear that the good news is about Jesus. They're going to hear that all of this from Genesis to Revelation, all that God has said, all that he is about is about us and him forever and what he has done, the way he's established that possibility, the way he has bridged the gap between unholy humanity and his holy perfect self is by Jesus Christ himself laying across that gap as a bridge so that we could reach the God who loves us. They're going to hear about that every single time. And the fact that we can do that, that we have a website to put it on, all of that, you're a part of that through giving. I don't care if you don't code it. You've helped us do it. And it matters. It matters. So thank you. Praise God. May we be a people who see giving the way God sees it, as a gift of grace and an evidence of grace. May we be a people who give joyously, even when we are struggling, to the glory of God. And may we be a people who are so passionate about God's redemptive work in the earth that we would beg for the chance to give so that it may be accomplished. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you know us so well. I thank you, God, that because you've made us, because you are our designer, that you know what goes on in the deep places of our heart. I thank you, God, that you don't just care about what we can pull off superficially on the surface, but that you love us and care about us enough that you're willing to delve deep enough in relationship with us to get below the surface and deal with our motives. Thank you, God, that you continually call us not just to do the right things, but to do the right things for the right reasons. God, I ask that our giving as a people, that it would be motivated by your grace that as we consider how good you've been to us, when we consider how much mercy you've extended to us, when we consider how generous you've been in rescuing us from darkness and bringing us into your glorious light, in setting us free from slavery to sin and death and giving us the opportunity to serve you like we were made to, God, in all that you've done, and you didn't stop there, you didn't just save us, you didn't just redeem us, you didn't just pull us up out of the miry clay, but you've promised to walk with us. You've given us your spirit. You've made us your New Testament dwelling place. You've said you'll be with us and never forsake us. You've promised to lead us and to guide us. You've promised to give us wisdom when we ask for it. You've promised to provide for our needs. You've promised to always forgive us when we come and confess sin. You've promised, God, to hear our prayers when we bring them to you. You've invited us, like your children, to come as sons and daughters into the throne room of the God of the universe and to bring our needs to you. God, you've gone so far above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And Lord, may we constantly and forever be so enraptured by your grace and so enraptured by your generosity that it would not be a struggle for us 
to give, whether we're meeting a need uh, that, that encounters us uh, somewhere else, or if it is us giving directly to the work of spreading your gospel and growing your kingdom by, by giving to uh, the church, Lord, no matter what way it is that we're giving, may it always be a joyous occasion for us. May it not be a struggle. May it not be something we have to fight to do. May there not be this internal uh, battle going on, but may we be able to freely and joyously uh, and excitedly and passionately give. Uh, and God, I just ask that it would do what it did through the Macedonian churches. God, I ask, that, I ask that you would be able to brag about Love City Church. I ask, God, that people would be able to see the way we give, the way that we sacrifice uh, because of how much you've loved us and we love you. I ask that they would be able to look at our example and, and not be enamored with us, but, God, that they would have to point to you, that our, we would give with such sacrifice and, and simultaneous joy that people would think we were crazy, and the only explanation they can come up with is that God is doing something among those people. May our generosity, Lord God, speak of your greatness. May it point people towards your grace and towards your love. We just want you to be glorified with every part of all that we do. And especially, God, in this time, we're praying that you would help us to glorify you with our giving. Help us to be generous people because you're a generous God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.